Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Good morning. Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Sean Hackett. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, Mr. Casey. Real good. Good deal, man. Well, it looks like there's going to be a bit of weather roll through uh, pretty much everywhere today. I mean, there's going to be uh, strong. Obviously, I'm out here in Western Nebraska. There's going to be another blizzard come through here. Depending on where you're at, you could get anywhere from 8 inches to 20 inches and 40 to 50 mile an hour winds. So there's going to be uh, plenty of action going on today. I'm sure down in sunny Florida, you guys got your flip-flops on and your, your puka necklace. You're going to head down to the beach for a little bit, right? Well, we have our flip-flops on, but it's raining down here too. We're actually getting the tail portion of this bomb cyclone because it's such a big storm that we're getting a lot of rain. It's actually 35 on our winds down here, if you can believe oh, that. Right so it's uh, not sure it's beach weather, but definitely flip-flops. Right on, right on. Well, a lot of activity going on this week. You know, they we've had, uh, had the report come out yesterday, and it pretty much got traded uh, about you know they expected it to be the way it turned out you know a very bearish report not not a lot of not a lot of surprises there so I think a lot of folks were uh, you know market didn't really react to it the market wasn't really up or down it was just kind of slopping back and forth so um, as you take a look out there right now how, how do you see things shaping up with the weather events we have going on especially in the livestock market headed into uh, the end of the week. Well, I think in the grain markets, I think we're probably trading the largest supply number we're going to trade possibly for the rest of this year. What I mean by that is that we we have um, this idea of what the acres are supposed to be, what the yields are supposed to be. um, And I think with the weather that's going to take place, it has been taking place, that those numbers are going to start coming down over time. And so what that typically means is when you trade the largest number uh, that, that, that the market can get its hands around, that means you're at a low and the market's going to start rallying as it starts shaving yields down or shaving acres down or the USDA finds that maybe demand for, for feed, uh, livestock feeding is, is a little better than they thought. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to suggest that these are probably the largest numbers we're going to trade for probably the rest of the year. And so th- there's an opportunity here for buy side uh, hedgers, you know, the livestock guys to get some feed bought and get some good cheap feed locked in before the market starts worrying about the growing season, not only here domestically, but there's going to be some weather problems overseas as well. Right. Okay. So as far as the grain markets go, I've heard anywhere between 700,000 and a million acres of prevent in in the Missouri River Valley, all the way from uh, North South Dakota, all the way down into into Nebraska and Iowa, um, there's still a lot of, of snow melt that needs to get melted up there yet. So there's going to be some continued flooding issues that we're going to see come through there. Um, I, I've heard anywhere between three and, and six million acres of uh, corn that gets there's going to be displaced this year. So um, they're, they're, from a corn perspective, uh, that market it does look like there's going to be some some opportunity in corn uh, later this later this summer. Yeah, we really like the corn market a lot, the way it's shaping up. Um, 
obviously how weather plays out, but the way it looks to us, we're going to be colder than normal. Mm-hmm. Still lots of moisture well into May. Um, it's just not going to be the kind of weather that's going to get uh, the acreage that the planning intentions report indicated. And so, you know, if, we, if, we, if we're conservative and we shave a couple of million acres off on the core number, and, and it's probably going to be more than that, but let's just use two, you know, we're shaving uh, almost 400 million bushels off the top. And if the quarterly grain stocks that came out that was 300 million bushels above expectations gets throttled back a little bit because we think feed demand has been underestimated, all of a sudden this 2 billion bushel carryout number can become you know, 1.3 to 1.5 very quickly without even taking yields down. So you could be in a position 30 to 45 days from now where we're working our numbers way back down to where we were before, and I'm not sure what the price should be uh, based upon that, but it's not going to be 360 futures spot price. It's going to be something you know closer to four, four and a half. And so we think there is a big opportunity coming here. What we're waiting for is our smart money algorithm to give us the buy signal, which we are with with a whisker. Getting, we actually think we might get it this week on Friday's data when we run it through. We think we might actually get that buy signal. It tells us the timing is right to to pull the trigger on that. But we really like corn a lot. We think it's one of the best position rate markets for what we see expectation wise, weather wise going into the summer. Right on. Okay, so the other the other flip side of that is um, if there are four or five million acres of corn that doesn't get planted, probably the next bet is going to be soybeans. And um, other reports I've read so far this year, if everything stayed the same, our ability to uh, our consumption would, is going to outpace our ability to uh, to produce. So um, for the first time in a long time. So with that being said, there's going to be some. There's going to be a little. I don't think there's going to be any pressure on, on the soybeans if corn takes off and makes the run that it, that we think it's going to do. Well, it, it's going to be a spread play, um, Mr. Casey. I mean, essentially, what's going to be is you're going to have corn fundamentals getting super tight, soybean fundamentals, you know, remaining what they've been, which is you know not terribly friendly, but we could get a trade deal and China could buy a lot, you know. But but overall, comparatively, what's going to happen is corn is going to outperform soybeans, and so the spread, the corn soybean spread, is going to really shoot out. Um, significantly. So yeah, I agree with you. It's unlikely in a scenario where corn heads up to four and a half, soybeans won't fall. But but I think they could dramatically underperform, especially if we shove a few more bean acres in mm-hmm. and replace with corn acres late in the season, uh, in the planting season, that uh, can certainly happen. And so, um, you know, once again, I think it, it's not, you can't be bearish the grain markets and, and overall, but I think corn is the one that's going to be the supercharged play right now versus soybeans, unless you know, soybeans would have to happen, you know, really, really bad August weather would have to happen in order to get that to change. But for now, we'll, we just, we, we think corn's the play, you right know, corn's on. the play. And, and on a trade deal, if we ever, ever get one, and I know we hate talking about it, but if we ever do, and we ever get that, okay, the trade deal's done, spike trade in soybeans, there would be an opportunity to probably sell soybeans on that spike trade, um, you know, but, but right now we just, it's, it would continue to kick the ball down, kick the ball down. It's, it's four weeks away. It's, we really need it this time. It's four weeks away. No, really this time it's four weeks away. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm frustrated by the whole thing. So yeah, you and me both. Yeah. That's kind of one of those things I just ignore anymore. Sooner or later we'll yeah. wake up and it'll, it'll be over. It'll be, you know, it'll go one way or the other. So, um, the one market that I that I've watched kind of from the sidelines and I've paid attention to it, but not enough because in my area that we don't have any of it um, 
is a cotton market. You need to take a look at cotton right now, and, and it's had a very strong run over the last 36 months. Really went from being not worth anything to now it's that's really gotten back up to those to those highs that we saw, um, you know, three or four years ago, and <clears throat> or five or six years ago now, I guess. But with the amount of cotton that's been planted, um, kind of displaced some wheat acres with cotton uh, in the Kansas and Oklahoma, Texas. Um, you've seen that uh, some corn acres get uh, gobbled up by by cotton in the south. How much longer do you feel cotton has has a good a good solid run before you start seeing a, a an oversupply issue? Well, the, the cotton market really got itself going here when the USDA's planting and tenders report came in well below expectations. I mean, they actually had acres down year over year. It shocked the market. I mean, the market just was not prepared for that. I'm not really sure how that number came about because it doesn't make any sense to all the numbers that we see or people we talk to, but we're certainly expecting cotton acres to uh, be substantially higher than we saw in planning attention. So what the cotton market's doing right now, it's And once it feels it secured those acres, you know, then the market can really fall off. And so that tells us to, you know, probably May high in cotton, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, they were gonna wanna make sure the planting season, it's wet, there might be problems, but they wanna keep, they're gonna keep that cotton price high relative to competing crops into May. And then when they feel they've gotten it, then I think the cotton market will fall. Because the bigger concern for us is cotton is, in a, is an industrial and commodity. It's one of the few markets that's heavily economically sensitive, and we're very concerned about the global economy continuing to slow down, and cotton demand is very, very sensitive to that in the past. And so we're concerned that demand numbers are going to come down just as these acres are coming up, not only here, by the way, but in India and in China, we're looking at increased acres. In Australia, if they ever get rain, we'll get some increased acres. So overall, you know, it's a pretty bearish picture heading into the fall once we, you know, place our highs here in May. So we think we could go a little further, but we would want to be active sellers. It's one of the few markets you actually can make money selling right now as a, as a producer, which you should be doing. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's had a pretty good run for quite a while when everything else was kind of on the, on the fence, whether it was going to be a, a profitable year or not. Cotton's been that deal that has just been, been there and, you know, being from Kansas and, and watching the number of wheat acres that got depla- displaced by uh, by uh, by cotton uh, over the last couple of years, it's pretty amazing to see uh, how far it's moved north. And uh, it, it is. I mean, economics drive everything, as you know. If, if, if it's profitable, do it. Farmers will find a way to plant in areas they haven't done before, and and they'll continue to do that so long as cotton's profitable. Everything else is not. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So the other. Other big issue out there right now is in the livestock markets. If you take a look at you know the issues in China, you know we had some some early reports out that it could be up to forty percent of the of the Chinese hog market uh, has been affected by uh, by the African swine fever that's come through here. So, I mean, talk about that a little bit. I mean, there's been some pretty consistent exports to China when you look at hogs. Um, more so than, than what's even part of the of the trade deal. I mean, they want to act like it is, but they're buying it because they need it. So talk about that the hog market right now, and they're they're getting a uh, a pretty good shot in the arm now with with some with some good prices. Well, the 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 Chinese have been willing to admit 
that pork supplies are down or hog supplies are down 20% year over year. We keep hearing it's, it's larger, but we'll just go with the 20%. That means that 24.5 billion pounds of pork is not available today in China that was available a year ago. That's greater than the entire expected export market of 19.4 billion in 2019, just to put that in perspective. Yeah. So, so they could buy the entire available supply in the export market and still not cover the shortfall if it's only 20%. So the point we're trying to make is there's not enough pork for them to take care of this problem. So what they're going to have to do is they can, they'll have to buy as much pork as they can, and then they're going to have to buy other meat proteins like chicken and beef and fish to fill the gap until the herd uh, can, can regrow again in China and elsewhere, and they can fill the gap in 2020 and 21 and beyond. So it's a huge gap, and, and beef is going to be a huge beneficiary. We already saw Brazilian uh, beef exports to China just off the charts, um, almost up like 100% year over year. Um, and, and prices in Brazil taking off, Australian cattle prices taking off um, now that they've gotten some rains there. And so everything is happening in, in the U.S. Whether we sell directly to the Chinese it has a lot to do with the trade deal, but it doesn't matter. If, if, if the Chinese are buying everything they can from Brazil, everything they can from Australia, then the Japanese and the South Koreans who won't get their beef will have to buy it from us anyway. So either way, we get the business. So we think we're setting up you know, for a really big rally in cattle. And, and of course, this terrible winter has made weights go down. It's made calfing uh, uh, big problematic. In fact, year-to-date beef production is down year-over-year because of the adverse weather and the lower weights that have been coming out. At a time when we had record exports, even not even factoring in African swine fever demand that may be coming. So pretty bullish scenario that we see. Um, and of course, drilling season is coming up. Demand should be strong. Pork prices domestically taking off. We know that people will always switch between the two, depending on which one's gaining favor. And so you know, we really like that market a lot. We think it could be one of the most um, uh, most ebullient markets in the first, next two to three months could be the cattle market, and especially the feeder cattle market, which usually leads live cattle up in the first phase of a market move higher. So we would definitely be focusing um, your listeners on the cattle market as a as a as a speculative trade if that's what they're thinking or if they're in the business of buying you know they should really make sure they lock in some supplies and not get caught having to chase their tail uh chasing prices higher yeah <clears throat> yep okay so that the next uh part of the livestock market that that we talk about here every once in a while is is the dairy side of that of that business and you know they're struggling right now price of milk is in the toilet it's just not it's a struggle right now to be to make uh, to make some ends meet, but they're also uh, uh, calling uh, quite a bit of the herd. You know they're 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 actively doing that. And as beef prices go up, you probably see more some more uh, milk cows get get uh, shuffled off into the uh, into the butcher side of the business. So talk about the dairy market and how you see it shaping up. Well, we we follow this relative price chart between milk class three prices and live cattle prices. It's a chart we go back 40 years on, and every time milk price gets to a certain level um, where it's cheap relative to cattle, dairy culling goes to the roof. And right now, when we we're just we're off, off the charts uh, culling dairy cows right now. The dairy herd's shrinking, milk production's falling, um, and, and right now we are still in, in an area where milk prices historically 
will keep that calling going very aggressively. And so if, milk, if cattle prices continue to head higher, it's going to have to drag the milk price up. There's, there's just no example of cattle prices going any higher relative to, to class three milk without the milk price starting to follow. If you actually look at the deferred price of class four milk and class three, we're actually starting to see prices moving higher. We're actually in the 16s, upper 16s of those deferred prices. While that's still not, you know, let's let's give a high five. We're making, you know, we're, we're all all solving the world, but that starts to get prices into a zone that begin to work for the dairy farmer. And so there's a lot of hope, especially if cattle prices go higher, that this dairy culling will continue and further her production and really juice this market in the uh, in the back half of the year. We already know international prices is based upon the New Zealand GDT auctions are up 30, 35% over the last few months, going crazy as China's are buying everything they can from them. Our markets tend to move up about three to four months delayed from when the GDT prices go up, which is about April or May, from terms of when those prices started to go. So everything is suggesting milk prices in the U.S. are going to start to take some pressure off by going higher. And of course, cattle just adds adds live fluid to the situation. And so we're pretty excited for once that dairy uh, producers that uh, that make it through are going to make some good money later this year. And so uh, if you're out there, you're a dairy farmer. Um, Hang in there. Better times ahead. Right. And if you're an equipment dealer and you sell choppers, good times are coming. So get ready. Get ready, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, let's talk about the crude market, crude oil market for a minute. Uh, Saudis came out uh, last week, two weeks ago, and said, hey, we're going to make $70 barrel, $70 oil happen. Um, that actually did happen. You saw Brent crude. Um Later, late last week, hit that seventy dollars mark. West Texas was, you know, up in the upper sixties uh, or the lower sixties. I'm sorry, and I think it might have closed right around fifty-eight. And I think they hit a sixty-two mark there for a minute, but um, that that that's going to be good for for uh, for the U.S. oil market. Um, but also, normally when crude oil starts going up like that, there's a correlation with corn. You start seeing to drag corn up a little bit. So talk about the, the crude oil market and what we see happening there. Well, I mean, one of the one of the Achilles' heels of the corn market has been you know, that the ethanol industry has been under a lot of pressure. They have not been able to make money. They've been pulling back. They've been shutting down. They've been consuming less corn. It's one of the things holding the corn market back. But obviously, if energy prices continue to head higher and the gasoline pump continues to head higher, then that's going to start pulling ethanol prices higher and making. In fact, it's already doing that. Margins uh, are actually already starting to improve, and so um, it, it would start to actually bring that production uh, and that demand for corn back up, it would be a very positive additional demand side. Another reason why we think the USDA's numbers in the last quarterly grain stocks are probably too high because we think they're underestimating the actual demand for corn-based ethanol uh, throughout the year. I think they're, they're overplaying the negatives that we already know, and they're underplaying the positives that are likely to come based upon the current price of fruit and the idea that it probably is looking like it's going higher. So. Uh, it, that's all very positive, and, and it also would make our ethanol exports more attractive to foreign buyers like China and others who are continuing to look for ethanol as a way to move their, themselves into a you know cleaner burning uh, fuel environment. And so all of that supports the car market and overall supports the grain market. So it's a uh, you know it's kind of worth it. We don't want crude to be too high. You know, if it's going to 100, 110, we we worry about the economy getting hurt. 
but you know, you know, 60, 70, even to 80, it's actually a very, very constructive area because it doesn't hurt the economy too much, but it really gets the ethanol industry rocking and rolling and the corn market needs that lifeline to get going again. So Yeah. So the other other thing that really affects our, our trade uh, with countries is, is the dollar, and dollar's been uh, kind of bouncing higher here the last couple of weeks. A lot of it's correlated to what's going on over in Europe with Brexit and, and all that all that mess that they have over there. Um, talk about the U.S. dollar and, and how that is going to play out when you start looking at the things that we have in play, in play right now. We think a buying rumor sell the news is setting up. We've had a lot of capital flight going into the dollar, thinking, you know, scared to death about free exit. What does it mean? It's a hard break. All this uncertainty, but what, you know, whatever may happen, we think it's going to be better than the worst case scenario. It's going to take some of that capital flight out of the dollar. Secondly, um, we're hearing word that the uh, uh, ECB bank is considering uh, bringing money again because they're not, they're, they're getting concerned about some of their economic activity. And if they start printing money again, actually that brings money back into the ECB because the printing of money means it lowers the risk of liquidity concerns. It improves potential for economic, the economics to do better. And it, and it once again pulls money away from the US dollar. Um, and thirdly, the Bitcoin is another monetary asset we follow because it has a very distinct inverse correlation to the US dollar. And it tends to lead big important turning points. So we just saw this past week, a major breakout in Bitcoin, up 35% in over a week, um, something we have been actually forecasting in our report. Um, and that breakout suggests that money is, is starting to flee away from the US dollar being a safe haven. And we would expect that breakout in Bitcoin to lead to uh, further weakness in the US dollar. So everything points to the US dollar likely rolling over here um, and having a strong down move into the summer, into the fall. And obviously, a weaker dollar pumps up U.S. exports of agriculture and, 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 and really helps U.S.-based uh, ad prices, which we've been suffering from with a higher dollar ever since the trade war began. So we really think that um, that's going to be turning into a tailwind from being a headwind. And that's another thing that we think many people are not factoring in or appreciating Everyone assumes the dollar is going to remain strong forever. We just don't think that's the correct view at this point. Do you see the uh, world economy, maybe any, any kind of acceleration that you might have? You know, I've had Rich Poston on here uh, earlier in the year, and he was talking about a, a, a possible slowdown uh, in, in 2019, uh, mid-year 2019, and kind of, well, kind of where we're at right now. Um, nothing too crazy, um, kind of one of those things that was more of a blip than a big, a big kind of event. But if the Brexit thing does go south and there's a hard break and you start seeing some, some heavy economic uh, swings in, in England and, and overall in Europe, for that matter, could you see a slowdown in, in uh, acceleration in that slowdown uh, of the uh, world economy because of that? Absolutely. I mean, when, when we're already slowing down and we already have a fragile monetary system as it is, any shock like a Brexit or, or something we don't know, um, you know, could always accelerate the decline and cause greater concern. The flip side of that is it forces the, Federal, the, the central banks of the world to get back on the loose monetary policy regime that they were on, they temporarily came off. And so it's a, it's a, it's a good cop, bad cop situation. Commodities love money printing. They love how the 
when the dollar goes weaker, when the money printing begins. But sometimes it takes a little bit of an economic shock to get that going. Which so it's so I, I think where we feel we're at is we think that we're going to have enough of a slowdown potentially from a shock like Brexit to create the environment where money printing is going to begin and it's going to get the commodity markets going again with a weaker dollar. So we think if ever get it's kind of anti. It doesn't. It was kind of like it doesn't make sense, but a weaker economy actually results in a higher commodity market based upon the liquidity factors that drive it. Whereas we had a rip roaring economy, you know, for the last couple of years and a strong dollar, and our commodity markets did nothing. Right. So we actually like weak economy, monetary money printing. That's the sweet spot for when commodities actually do well versus a strong economy, strong dollar. So we're actually optimistic that the scenario you paint out is actually going to bring. You know, buyers into the commodity markets, and maybe that's why precious metals have been catching a bid. Uh, maybe that's why the crude oil market has been catching a bid beyond what OPEC's been saying. I mean, these are usually the first markets to move, anticipating looser monetary conditions. Yeah. Well, look what happened in 2008. You know, I mean, the uh, U.S. economy went into the tank, and and the ag economy took off. You know, and uh, from 2008 to 2013, arguably 14, you could you could say that there was a a five or six year run there that was a pretty uh pretty good run. I mean there's some there's some good money made in that, that time. Even in the seventies you can look at when, when commodity markets and ad markets had their best moves is when the the US and global economy were struggling. Right. It's 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 just a weird phenomenon but but um it, it's just the way uh, the markets uh operate and the way they 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 trade ahead of future news and, and right now weak economy Loose monetary conditions is actually going to be really, really positive for ag markets. And so when everyone else is starting to slow down, the ag, the ag economy is going to be cranking up in a non-correlated fashion like it usually is. Usually when everyone else is doing well, the farmer is struggling. And when the farmer is doing well, everyone else is struggling. And so I think it's time to flip it because that farmer's been struggling long enough and everyone else has been doing well for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I hope I hope you're right because that would be that'd be great for uh, for my business. So absolutely, uh, <laughs> would, would fly off the fly off the rails with with that scenario for sure. So yeah. all right, last thing, Sean. Uh, looking out in the next week, what's your uh, what's your sleeper out there? What's your what's your big thing you're watching? Do you think it's going to have a big move over the next uh, seven to ten days? Uh, I think the sleeper market right now. Uh, I think it could be the rice market. Um, it's gotten under, it got hit pretty hard here. Uh, on the USDA reports, um, you know, like most grains, you know, they didn't like the corally grains, they didn't like the acres, and they kind of put pressure on it. But when we look at the moisture patterns in rice right now in Arkansas and the Deep South, I mean, they're in the planting mode. Where we look at the rains over the next two to three weeks, and it's just this big, big, big bullseye of well above, I mean, inches upon inches above normal rain in that in the heart of the rice planting belt, and we just. We think there's going to be a lot of problems and, and the market's going to have to start reacting to some kind of a lower number and take some of this decline back and put it, put the weather premium back in. And so if we were, if we were just thinking over a very, very short time for a couple of weeks, we think the rice market put on, you know, some, some, some weather premium back on because we, it looks to us to be one of the worst hit areas moisture wise over the next two to three weeks as plantings absolutely at this critical phase. Right on. Okay. All right, Sean. Well, plenty of stuff to talk about. Like usual, folks want to reach out to you and pick your brain about something, ask a question, or just get some advice from you. How would they do that? Uh, our website is hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. 
They can download our white paper, our smart money indicator, sample report, some description of our services to see if the kind of work that we do might be of, of value to their ad businesses and maybe other ad trade. Sorry. Right okay. Well, I am Casey Seymour with uh, Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. And Sean, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. And we'll uh, talk to you then. Bye, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, bye. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century.